and welcome to this week's episode of Midlife AF. We are calling this episode the Midlife Awakening. I think you're going to love it. Over to me. If you're a woman in midlife whose intuition is telling you that giving booze the elbow might be the next right move, then Midlife AF is the podcast for you. Join counsellor, psychotherapist, this naked mind and grey area drinking alcohol coach Emma Gilmore for a weekly natter about parenting quirky teens, menopause, relationships and navigating this thing called midlife alcohol free. If you're feeling that life could be so much more, that you're sick and tired of doing all the things for everyone else, if your intuition is waving her arms manically at you saying it could all be so much easier if we didn't have to keep drinking, come with me. Together we'll find our groove without booze. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Midlife AF. I am calling this episode A Radical Awakening and I want to share with you a poem from a book that I am reading with my book club at the moment and I'm going to start with it. Now apologies if I read it badly so I'm just going to do my best. It says, it's called The Time of the Awakened Woman, and it's by Dr. Shafali Sabari. And it says, there comes a time in the life of a woman when she discards her old ways like tossed shoes in the garbage, when she shreds her lists of shoulds and obligations, and when impossible expectations are burned in an incinerator there comes a time in the life of a woman when the approval of others, once jewels, now turn to pennies in her sock, when the hunt for another is now replaced by the hunt for herself, and when parental tentacles of tradition no longer define her truth. There comes a time in the life of a woman when her desire to fit in with the crowd dissolves, when her manic compulsion to be perfect vaporizes, when her obsession to be voted popular eviscerates. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she simply says no more, when facade, artifice and guile leave her nauseated and when righteousness, dogma and superiority repulse her. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she no longer fears conflict, but faces it boldly like a lioness, when she guards her authenticity as fearlessly as she guards her babies, and when she drops the role of saviour, knowing she can only save herself. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she no longer cowers in the shadows of her unworthiness, when she no longer plays small so others can feel big, and when she swaps the role of victim for the role of co-creator. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she unabashedly and boldly occupies her ultimate sovereignty, when she finally feels ready to claim her space in the world, and when she defines compassion 
as unequivocal self-love. There comes a time in the life of a woman when she finally releases her childlike dependencies on others, when she dares to rewrite a new mandate of living for herself. One that says, I release unworthiness and fear. I divorce civility and passivity. I divest in authenticity and enmeshment. I end the pretense of being someone I am not. And from now on, I declare, I will ascend to my highest power. I will embrace my greatest autonomy. I will celebrate my deepest worth. I will embody my fiercest courage and manifest the most authentic me. The time is now. I am ready to awaken into my renaissance. So powerful. I hope you don't mind my reading it at the beginning, but I just, this is so much part of the learning that I have been doing over the last few years since I stopped drinking. And for me, the two things go hand in hand. And it's so interesting um, being part of other groups, um, particularly around kind of running my entrepreneurial business now, and just how entwined alcohol is in our culture and how desperately we hold on to it like a security blanket and it's so completely understandable and I think you come to a certain age and for me it sort of started in my mid mid to late 40s and I stopped drinking I think when I was 40 I think I stopped drinking when I was 46 or 47 I can't remember um because I'm really bad at numbers like that <laughs> but you know, during this journey, which I never expected to be what it has been, you know, you think you, oh, sorry, that's the that's the alarm to take my kid to the doctor. So I can reassure you this won't be a long um, message. But it was in my 40s, late 40s, that I started to go on this journey. And really, it started with, and I like Brené Brown says, and you've all heard me mentioning her amazing a uh, piece of prose around um, oh, the midlife unraveling, it's called, and we'll we'll put a tag to both of those in the um, in the show notes. Um, but it's it, it's basically the the story of the book that um, the poem comes from is about, and it's written by a I think I think. Dr. Shafali is a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Um, and she's definitely got quite a few pieces of work out there. This book is, is sensational and it encapsulates everything, you know, that I'm growing to learn about how the human mind works um, and how that, you know, as children, we, I did a, um, a webinar, which is actually going to be available to buy if any of you want to buy it on my website once we've got the tech side of it set up. But it's really good and we've got downloadable worksheets as well so you can do the journaling. But it's all about this particular webinar was all about judgment, self-judgment and the shoulds. And this particular book talks about, and it's very much in line with what I've been learning with Gabor Mate, 
And in the other work that I've done as a counsellor, training to be a counsellor and psychotherapist, you know, this idea that we're born this essence of self, you know, this amazing potential. And, you know, very early on in our life, we start building these protective mechanisms. So judgments, one, um, we get, you know, different like we have like little firemen who come in and they hose us down often you know when I talk in my groups we talk about alcohol as being you know like a little safe it's safe it's coming to save you with wine it's coming to save you from feeling bad um or coming to save you from an intense emotion and 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 so instead of the wine witch and you know I've I've probably talked about this you probably heard me talk about this to death but I don't see the wine witch as a wine witch I see her as a little savior in a cape and she's trying to help us she's trying to save us So all these protective mechanisms that we build, we build them when we're children to keep us safe, to keep us loved, to keep us accepted, to help us fit in. It's such an important part of what we do. And I find for me, and this will be, you know, very familiar for other people as well, because I know that's one of the things that people are frightened of often when they change their relationship with alcohol. It's like, what does that mean about me? What are other people going to think about me? Does it mean I have a quote unquote problem with alcohol? And of course, it doesn't have to mean anything, right? And there's this huge piece of learning that we have around the concept of let other people be wrong about you. This is one of my biggest probably challenges this year um, is learning this let other people be wrong about you. Because I notice, you know, particularly I've had to convince um, medical professionals that um, the what my kid's suffering from is a real thing and get all the research papers and all this kind of stuff. And that horrible feeling of not being believed. I've had an issue with my next door neighbor who's uh, what I now understand to be a narcissist. And so part of that is that they go and they spread rumors about you and they get little kind of, they call them flying monkeys. I'd never heard the term before. But basically, they they kind of recruit unsuspecting people on their behalf to kind of attack you. Um, and we've had all this going on, and we've had to go to court, and it's been really awful and just draining, just all the time having to prove that you are not you're that you're telling the truth about your experience. Um, and then I found in you know some coaching groups I've part of, you know there's a sort of backlash to a certain extent around, you know, when I'm taught, I feel like, and again, this might be all in my head, but I feel like I, what I have to say might be slightly triggering for people because it means that they have to look at their own drinking, even though I don't um, have an issue with anyone drinking or anybody going about their own business and their own journey but I also think that it is part of midlife and I do think it at midlife everything that we thought kept us safe everything we thought because of course we we would drink you know we'd have a busy busy day we'd be so exhausted the kids would be kicking off we'd be trying to get people to do their homework you know for me I was trying to get neurodiverse kids to do things that are really really hard for them like make their lunches put their clothes away um you know do all the things that we think we're supposed to do to be this person that society deems to be okay be fit be sexy work all the hours but never look like you are it's just all a big charade and we're having to suppress ourselves all the time and I remember doing the the study that I did on um when I was when I'm studying to 
be an intuitive eating counselor, which I'm still, I've got the third part of that, which is the supervision part to go. But there's so much in um, disordered eating that comes from suppressing. So there's a lot of suppression that um, is linked to disordered eating and suppression of self. And as women, we suppress ourselves all the time. We suppress ourselves. And I love um, Dr. Shafali talks about in her book, um, you know, it really the patriarchy it's really about the patriarchy and how this productivity capitalist culture keeps us thinking that you know we need to be there's only space for it's that scarcity thing isn't it there's only space for one at the top we've all got to fight each other and for it <laughs> when you know the more that you grow the more that you understand that there's you know there's room at the it was room for everybody right there's plenty of room for everyone. It's an abundant world. And we are abundant. We are love, right? We are love. That is, we are born with amazing potential. And underneath all our rhino skin, all our protective mechanisms, which are just things that we need to make friends with, right? We need to have compassion for them. We need to understand where they're coming from. They don't mean to be assholes to us. It's just what they learned in society. So judgment has just learned that that's what, in when we were kids, it kept us safe. So do, all the shoulds, they kept us safe. You should do this, you should do that. We know that mum and dad will be, won't be cross with us if we do that. We know that mum and dad will praise us and love us if we do that. So of course we do that. But we're grown-ass fucking women now, right? We don't need to please mum and dad anymore. Well, you know, somewhat. Um, and so now it's time for us to say, hey, you know, these things that we think are keeping us safe from it all descending into chaos, you know, because we're the, these things that we're holding onto, we're grasping onto so fucking tightly to control everything that we have absolutely no control over anyway. That's what's causing our problem. And we talk about this in the Be the Lighthouse group all the time, you know, it's the resistance. It's the trying to control, trying to contain, trying to constrain, the grasping coming from a place of scarcity, fear. That's That causes us to drink. And it's the putting alcohol in the should bucket, making it a morality thing, another thing on the pile of lift, along with the laundry, the sex, the running, the being the perfect parent, being the perfect wife, being the perfect employee, pretending that everything's okay when nothing is, and looking at everyone else pretending everything's okay and and thinking, oh, I don't measure up. <laughs> and we're all just pretending, right? And it's not true. We need to come out with our flabby tummies and wave our wrinkled faces and say, hey, look, we're just, you know, here we fucking are, and we're all the same. We're all there's nothing wrong with us. We're not broken. We just our bodies and our brains have done what they're supposed to do. They've kept us safe. But now this is the rest of our life, right? We get to we get to, as it said in that poem, we get to co-create. We get to build a relationship with ourselves. And to me, this is matrix shit, right? This is 
we step out of the fog. That's what she calls it. Dr. Shafali calls it the fog. We step out of the fog of the patriarchy and we come out and we say, actually, this is fucked. What the fuck? I mean, there's so many, it's so interesting, isn't it, right? I was so, even though I thought I was a real rebel, I was so um, I tried to think, I was so conformist, yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, I go to raves at the weekend. I'm, you know, I'm drinking and doing all sorts of bits and pieces in Soho in the media in the in the 90s and you know, thinking I'm a rebel, thinking I'm alternative. And in reality, most of the time it's just conforming. Um, and we we get stuck in that, you know, that whole idea of we're just living this life and everything we're feeling is us and everything that's going on is all, you know, we're just running through it all because it's what we've been conditioned to do. And then some things happen along the way. And I so remember, this is one I always laugh at, that, you know, when I had my first baby, I was really convinced. I was like, right, now I'm going into hospital. I'm going to have all the drugs. I'm going to be put, if I could have a cesarean, I would. <laughs> Which is probably going to make everyone go, like, mm. but I was really in that sort of state of mind. I'm like, well, we've got the drugs. Why not use them? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I had a terrible time in hospital and I was, I felt very frightened. I felt very unsupported. I felt very unloved, very uncared for. I felt alone, I was in pain and I was afraid. And it was awful. No amount of breathing could get me through it because it was such a sterile environment. I just kept crying for help and no one could help. No one would have come and help me. And I was like, in this modern world, how can it be that this is this happened? This was in London, right? And I and lots of my other friends had a completely different experience. This is my experience. And it was really traumatizing, actually, I think. And so I decided, I said to my husband, I'm never, I'm never doing that again. I'm either having, I'm having a midwife and I'll do it at home. And he, everyone was worried about that. So I did this kind of compromise thing. So I had a midwife who I worked with and she did acupuncture with me. She was also like the head of our, I don't know what you call it, like maternal health care nurse kind of thing. Um, and the idea was that if we were quite close to the hospital, so if anything went wrong, we could just hop in the thing and we get to the hospital. So it wasn't so she came with me to the appointments with my with the doctor at the hospital and stuff like that. Anyway, cut a long story short, I had my baby at home. It was the most amazing experience. I had her in a pool in my flat in London. And um it was it was a sensational and, and lovely experience. And again, I turned into a hippie, right? And then I was all corporate, corporate, corporate. When I did my uh, Myers-Briggs in corporate, I was always ENTJ, always ENTJ. And everyone's like, you can't fake this shit, right? I'm not an ENTJ anymore. <laughs> but I had put on, a bit like my drinking, a bit like everything I did, I put on a persona at about 11 and I carried on building that persona and probably way before then. I carried on building that persona based on what I was told was wrong with me. And I changed it. 
to become the thing I thought I needed to be in order for it all to work. And then I got to 45 and I was in bits. I looked amazing. I was fit as a fiddle. I had an amazing job, an amazing company. I had a beautiful house and a beautiful suburb. Nice husband, couple of kids who seemed to be well adjusted and doing well at school, getting good grades. And I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. I was so stressed. I was so unhappy. I wasn't all the time. Sometimes I was having a great time. Mainly when I was out getting drinking wine in the afternoon with my friends and their kids. Mainly when I was getting away from myself and my situation. But I didn't realise that at the time. You don't, you see, do you? Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up a little bit because it's time to take a bug to the GP. And I just wanted to finish off saying I have a virtual retreat coming up. Yay, it's a five-day one. I've never done a five-day one before. It's 45 bucks, no, 47 bucks, which is really cheap. Five days of coaching. Between seven and eight, Monday to Friday, and we are going to get shit done, right? Not through pushing, but we're going to do some massive learning. So you know how uh, any of you who come to any of my work know that I work on this concept of, um, which is at this naked mind, but it's much wider than that concept of we start with the knowledge, then we start with the, then we go to the feeling, and then we then we go to the behaviour. Right? It's a completely different way of doing things. So. You know, traditionally, we all are like, right, we've got the baby here. I'm going to, we're going to punish ourselves until we do it right. And, and of course, we fail, right? Because it's just about the behavior. And the behavior is never what the problem is, right? The behavior is a symptom. And we've got to know something different, to feel something different, mm. to do something different, right? Because what we're doing is not working. <laughs> it's never worked. It's four-year-old behavior. Four-year-olds trying to keep themselves safe so they can get loved by their parents. And I say that it sounds dramatic. I don't mean it. It's just like literally, you know, when you're a kid, if you do good, if you do something your parents approve of, you get love. So we're trying to do all this stuff based on this structure of what things should be like, which is not ours. It's not our own. And what I want to invite you guys to do is take five days with me. And I am going to show you how this works. I am going to help you to feel viscerally different about something so that you can have a different behavior from it. And so the um, five-day virtual retreat starts, I think, is on the 21st. Please sign up before that so you can get your workbook. There'll be a workbook to accompany every day. Um, it's literally going to be... Let me just... Let 
bear with me a second I've just gone a bit there we go so it's really about discovering the secret to a take it or leave it relationship with alcohol which is what I have and what most of the people that I know who've done this Naked Mind programs successfully have and I'm going to teach you the fundamentals of how to get that relationship we're going to do it over five days we're going to be in community this is so important we're going to have a Facebook group you can be part of it you don't have to be part of it the actual um, sessions are going to be on Zoom and I'm calling it five days to freedom virtual retreat and it's to take control of your drinking so it's wherever you want to be with your relationship with alcohol but I like to think of this as part of our radical awakening part of discovering who is that person beneath the identity the personality that we have created in order for us to fit into the world because we are grown-ass freaking women now and I invite you to come on a spectacular journey with me we'll have fun you will learn heaps you will feel heaps it's going to be very very interactive um and I think that's it I think that's all I have to say but I hope you enjoyed that poem I highly recommend the book it's very good and um yeah I've got another really beautiful piece of prose that I'm going to share with you on the next uh podcast episode as well so it's been a delight and I'll see you soon sorry about the singing I won't sing actually I can't promise that at all (laughs) all right my darlings take care speak to you soon Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Midlife AF with Emma Gilmore. If you enjoyed it, please share on Instagram for your friends and tag me at Hope Rising Coaching. If you want to help me grow the podcast, please review the episodes for me on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you would like to work further with me, please go to my website, www.hoperisingcoaching.com for my free and paid programs or email me at emma at hoperisingcoaching.com. Sending a massive cuddle to you and yours from me and mine and remember to keep choosing you. Thank you.